0: So, still here. So, we don't have I'm not going to give you a sort of formal talk tonight, but I have little bits and pieces which I want to share with you. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. And uh <clears throat> so we're not going to have a proper chat or anything like that but some of you have kind of been interested in certain topics that came up in interviews and elsewhere and i thought i'll um, i wanted to bring um some of topic in Ajahn amedo's word his own word words because in a way um, there's something much more um in a way accurate as well when you bring him um in, into the picture Sort of um, quoting what he said about, for example, some people ask about consciousness, right? There was a sense consciousness. And then uh, we talked, I mentioned to some people, about the sutta in which a monk was really curious to find out what happened to the the elements, the four elements after death. Earth, water, fire and air. And the Buddha, he wasn't there, but this monk went up right up to the sort of the story is kind of funny, so I've already some of you have already heard it went up to the highest realm of existence where Brahma, the great Brahma god Brahma, was uh you know supposed to know the answer, so all the kind of various kind of divine level of different gods sort of each time they actually acknowledged that they did not know what happened to it. Some of you probably have read the sutta. And so by the time he got to Brahma he had to he asked once, didn't respond. He asked twice, he didn't respond. And the poor monk was desperate. The third time, so the story goes like that. It's probably a different interpretation of the story. But the one I have is quite comical. It's like Brahma called the monks and say, Brahma had his retinue, so there's a large, vast group of people around him. He say, All these people think I know everything, but I don't know. So please, you are a disciple of the Buddha, you should really go back down and see your teacher. You remember that one, yeah? So he went to see the Buddha. And the Buddha said, "Well, no, you're asking the question wrongly. It's not where do they disappear, but where do they find no footing? Where cannot they take roots again and grow?" And so the Buddha talks about this consciousness, which has no uh, where long and short, far and near, high and low. Do not exist. That's where the four elements do not find any footing. So we talked a little bit of that about this today, and I thought I brought the chapter on consciousness by Chansomeido. This is this is mentioned a few times in this book. But are you happy that you read some words of Somedo? I have a French accent, so it doesn't quite give him a full flavor of his speech, you know, but I'll try my best. I can't speak very well with the American accent. So, consciousness is a subject that has become quite important these days. We are all experiencing consciousness. We want to understand it and define it. You know, there's a lot of institute, consciousness institute in America. I don't know about elsewhere, but in America there's a lot of research on consciousness. What is it? You know, Some people say that they equate consciousness with thinking or memory. I have heard scientists and psychologists say that animals don't have consciousness because they don't think or remember. This seems ridiculous. But in terms of this moment, right now, this is consciousness. This in italic so the special is not quite sure what it is but this right now what's happening this moment we are just listening pure consciousness before you start thinking just make a note of this consciousness is like this i am listening i am with this present moment being present being here and now Taking the word consciousness and making a mental note, consciousness is like this. It's where thought, feeling and emotion arise. When we are unconscious, we don't feel, we don't think. Consciousness, then, is like the field that allows thoughts, thought, memory, emotion and feeling to appear and disappear. Consciousness is not personal. To become personal you have to make a claim to it, I am a conscious person. But there is just awareness, this entrance into noting the present. And at this moment consciousness is like this. Then one can notice the sound of silence the sense of just sustaining being able to rest in a natural state of consciousness that is non-personal unattached noting this is like informing or no, sorry noting this is like informing or educating oneself about the way it is when we are born, consciousness within this separate form start operating. A newborn baby is conscious, yet it doesn't have a concept of itself being male or female or anything like that. Those are conditions that one acquires after birth. This is a conscious realm. We may think of a universal consciousness. Some of you talk to me about that. A consciousness as it is used in the five khandas rupa, form consciousness, vedana, feeling, sanya, perception, sankhara, mental formations, and vinyana, sense consciousness. But there is also this consciousness which is unattached. Unlimited. In two places in the Tipi, Tipitaka, that mean the, 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 the teaching of the Buddha, there is a reference to Vinyanam, that's the one I was trying to remember, Winyanam <laughs> Anidasanam Anantam Sabato Pabham, a mouthful of words that points to the state of natural consciousness. That's such Me to start A mouthful of words reality. I'll just repeat because it's really interesting. So just you don't need to repeat it Pali, but a mouthful of words that point to the state of natural consciousness, this reality. I find it very useful to clearly note consciousness is like this. If I start thinking about it, then I want to define it. Is there an immortal consciousness? Or, we want to make it into metaphysical doctrine, or deny it by saying consciousness is anicca dukkha anatta. We want to pin it down or define it either as impermanent and not self, or raise it up as something we hold as a metaphysical position. But we are not interested in proclaiming metaphysical doctrines, or in limiting ourselves to an interpretation that we may have acquired through this tradition, we are trying to explore it in terms of experience. This is Lumpocha Pen Pachatam, that's in uh, uh, Thai, Pen Pachatam. And that means, uh, why is it? It's something like you realize for yourself, Pen Pachatam. So what so what I am saying now is an exploration is not trying to convince you or, on, or convert you to my viewpoint. You following me? It's not too difficult? Yeah? No. Okay. Consciousness is like this full stop. Right now there is definitely consciousness. There is alertness and awareness. Then conditions arise and cease. If you just sustain and rest in consciousness unattached, not trying to do anything, to find anything or become anything, but just relax and trust, then things arise. Suddenly you may be aware of a physical feeling, a memory or an emotion. So that memory or sensation becomes conscious, then it ceases. Consciousness is like a vehicle. It's the way things are. Is consciousness something to do with the brain? We tend to think of it as some kind of mental state that depends on the brain. The attitude of Western scientists is that that consciousness is in the brain. But the more you explore it with Sati Sampadhyanya, mindfulness and clear understanding, and Satipanya, mindfulness and wisdom, the more you see that the brain, the nervous system, and the whole psychophysical formation arise in consciousness and is imbued with consciousness. That is why we can be aware of the body and reflect on the four postures, sitting, standing, walking, and lying down. Being aware of sitting as you experience it right now, you are not limited to something that is in the brain. The body is in consciousness. You are aware of the whole body in the experience of sitting. The consciousness is not personal. That consciousness is not personal. It is not consciousness in my head or in yours. Each of us has our own conscious experience going on. But is this consciousness the thing that unites us? Is it our oneness? I'm just questioning. There are different ways of looking at it. When we let go of the differences, I am a Chansomedo and you are this other person, When we let go of these identities and attachments, consciousness is still functioning. It's pure. It has no quality of being personal, no condition of being male or female. You can't put a quality into it, but it's like this. When we begin to recognize that consciousness is that which binds us together and is our common ground, then we see that this is universal. When we spread Meta to a billion Chinese over in China, maybe it's not just sentimentality and nice thoughts, maybe there is power in there. I don't know, I'm questioning. I am not going to limit myself to a particular viewpoint that my cultural background has conditioned me to ex- to accept, because most of that is pretty flawed. I do not find my cultural conditioning very dependable." He's an American, remember? <laughs> I think quite a few Americans will agree with him. <laughs> Sometimes Terawada... Oh, where are we now? Well, you probably have had enough of it. It's not easy to understand. I mean, you know, I, I, I want to maybe find another, also another text, which the way Argensumedo uses um word is. An unusual so it's not unusual, but uh the introduction of this book uh Ajahn Amaro uh, uh, wrote a very interesting introduction in which he described um i'm not sure some version some uh publication some version of this publication have the full introduction, and I notice this one doesn't, but never mind, I will tell you a little bit about it um he was dis- saying that uh, when a forest master, a meditation master in Thailand has, you know, mature on their path and are, you know, sort of, um, you know, realize profoundly the ending of suffering, then many um, many of them have found a particular angle in the Buddhist teaching that they, they focused on the particular angle. And they find their own way, so to speak, their personal way, which is still completely in harmony with the teaching of the Buddha, but they 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 have a particular take on it. Those, for example, Rachensumome who use this consciousness called the mouthful of conscious mouthful description of this consciousness, winyanam, anidasanam, anantam, sabatopatam, which means really um um un- unattached, unlimited okay right so this is an, another kind of consciousness that he is, is describing beside the consciousness of the senses do you understand so you could say it's a consciousness which is not conditioned you know the sense consciousness become conditioned the consciousness that he's talking about doesn't have is a pure consciousness You have to read it again, I think, because... uh, Not now, but... Shall I continue? How many of you want me to continue? I don't want too many enemies before tomorrow morning. Okay. So, sometimes Theravada comes across as annihilationism. So French, it's the same word, but it's really a mouthful for a French person to say that, really. too, it's a mouth. You get into this no-soul, no-God, no-self fixation. This attachment to a view. This is attachment to a view. Or is the Buddha's te- the teaching there to be investigated and explored? We are not trying to confirm somebody's view about the Pali Canon but using the pali canon to explore our own experience right it's important to read this thing it's a different way of looking at it if you investigate this if you investigate this a lot you begin to really see the difference between pure consciousness and when self arises we notice that it's not hazy or fuzzy. Is there a self now? That kind of thing. It's a clear knowing. So then the self arises. I start thinking about myself, my feelings, my memories, my past, my fears, and desires, and the whole world arises around achinsumedo It takes off into hob- orbit, my views, my feelings, and my opinions. I can get caught into that world, that view of me that arise in consciousness. But if I know that, then my refuge is no longer in being a person. I'm not taking refuge in being a personality or in my views and opinions. Then I can let go. So the world of Achan ends. What remains when the world ends, is anidasanam, vinyanam, this primal, non-discriminative consciousness. Anidasana, vinyana. So I repeat, this primal, non-discriminative consciousness. It's still operating. It doesn't mean a dies and the world ends or that I am unconscious. I remember somebody getting very frightened by this talk about the end of the world. Buddhists are just practicing meditation to see the end of the world. They really want to destroy the world, they hate the world, and they want to see it end. This kind of panic reaction. To us, though, the world is seen in physical terms. This planet, the world of continents and oceans, North Pole and South Pole, but in Buddha Dharma, the world is something we create in consciousness. That's why we can be living in different worlds. The world of Achen Samedo is not going to be the same as the world you create. But that world arises and ceases, and that which is aware of the worlds arising and ceasing, transcend the world, it's Lokutara transcendental, rather than Lokya, worldly. When we are born into a physical birth, we have consciousness within this form. This point of consciousness starts operating, and then of course, we acquire our sense of self through our mothers and fathers and cultural background. So we acquire different values, our sense of self as a person, and that's based not on dharma, but on avijja, on views opinions and preferences that cultures have. That's why they can, there can be endless problems with different culture, cultural attitudes. Living in a multicultural community like this, I think he talks about the Sangha Tamarawati, it's easy to misunderstand each other because we are conditioned in different ways of looking at ourselves and the world around us. So remember, that cultural conditioning comes out of avidya. You think you're French, English, or the best in Sri Lankan, and all the rest of it. It's so. Remember that cultural conditioning come out of avidya, ignorance of dhamma. What we are doing now is informing consciousness with Panya, which is universal wisdom rather than some cultural philosophy. Buddha Dhamma, when you look at it, Buddha Dhamma is. The teaching, teaching okay, of the Buddha, Buddha Dharma, when you look at it, is not cultural teaching. It's not about Indian culture or civilization. It's about the natural laws that we live with, the arising and ceasing of phenomena. It's about the way things are. The Dharma teachings are pointing to the way things are, that, are, that aren't bound by cultural limitation. We talk about Anicca, Dukhanata. That's not Indian philosophy or culture. These are things to be realized. You are not operating from basic belief system that is cultural. The Buddha's emphasis is on waking up, on paying attention, rather than grasping some doctrinal position that you start with. This is why many of us can relate to it, because we are not trying to become Indians or convert to some religious doctrine that came out of India. The Buddha awakened to the way it is, the natural law. So when we are exploring consciousness, teaching us such as the five khandhas are skillful or expedient means to explore and examine our experience. The teaching are not saying You've got to believe in the five khandas and believe that there is no self. You cannot believe in God anymore. To a Buddhist, you have to believe that there is no God. There are Buddhists who have this mentality. They want to make the doctrinal doctrinal positions about being Buddhist. But to me, the Buddha's teaching is not based on the doctrine, but this, but on this encouragement to awaken. You are starting from here and now from awakened attention, rather than from trying to prove that the Buddha actually lived. Somebody might say, "Maybe there was never any Buddha, maybe it was just a myth, but it doesn't matter because we don't need to prove that Gotama Buddha actually lived. That's not the issue, is it? There are no trying to prove historical facts, but to recognize that what we are actually experiencing now is like this. When we allow ourselves to just rest in conscious awareness, this is a natural state. It's not a created one. Quite profound, isn't it? If you stop trying to understand it. Just let it, let it sink. <laughs> um, it is not a created one. It's not a refined conditioning that we are after. Not just a bliss and tranquility, because this world, this conscious realm, that we are part of, includes the coarse and the refined. This is not just a refined realm that we are experiencing, not a deva loka divine realm or brahma loka, highest heavenly realm. This is a realm where we run the gamut from the coarse to the refined. We have to go. We have got to deal with the realities of a physical body, which is quite a coarse condition. In deva realms, beings do not have physical bodies. They have ethere- ethereal ones. We would like ethereal bodies, wouldn't we? They are made out of ether, rather than all these slimy things that go on inside our bodies—bone, pus, and blood—and all this yucky condition that we have to live with, to defecate every day. Devas don't do, don't have to do things like that. Sometimes we are—we we like to create this illusion that we are devadas. But we don't like this function. We like privacy. We don't want people to notice because of the coarseness of the physical condition that we are living with. But consciousness includes the gradation from the coarse to the most refined. Another thing to notice is a compulsive sense of having to do something. Can you relate to that? I don't think he's talking to people that don't exist, is it? <laughs> real people. Having to, do, having to get or attain something, having to get rid of your defilements, when you are trusting in your real home, then you can have perspective on this conditioning of the emotions. We come from very competitive, goal-oriented societies. We are very much programmed always to feel that there is something that we have to do or have to get. We are always lacking something and we have to got to find out what it is. What did you lack today? Enlightenment? We are very much programmed always to feel that there is something that we have to do or have to get. We are always lacking something. Okay, Or we have to get rid of some things our weaknesses, faults and bad habits. Notice that this is just an attitude that arises and ceases. It's a competitive world, the world of a self. Recognize anybody in that? Yeah? We can always see ourselves in terms of what's wrong with us as persons. There are always so many flaws and inadequacies. There is no perfect personality that I have ever noticed. Personality is all over the place. Some of it is right and some of it is really wacky. Right? There is no personality that you can take refuge in. You are never going to make yourself into a perfect personality. That doesn't leave room too much, does it? Who am I then? So, when you judge yourself, you find so many problems, inadequacies, flaws and weaknesses. Maybe you are comparing yourself to some ideal person, some unselfish and superlative personality. That which is aware of personality is not personal. You can be aware of the personal as a mental object. These personality conditions arise and cease. You find yourself suddenly feeling very insecure or acting very childish because the conditions for that personality have a reason. But they cease, remember. So what's left? Oh, We don't know, do we? When my parents were alive, I went to stay with them for about three weeks because we they were really sick. I was Abbot of Amarawati, a 55-year-old Achan Sumedo, and I went home and lived in the same ha- little house with my mother and father. I brought up all kind of child it brought up all kind of childish emotions because the conditions were there for that. You were born through your parents, mothers and father, bring up your memories, your connections of infancy onward. So a lot of the conditions that arise in families are conditions of for feeling like a child again even when you are 55 years old. Buddhist monk, an abbot of a monastery. My mother and father could easily revert back and see me as a child. Rationally, they could see I was a middle-aged man, but they would still sometimes act as if I was their child. Then you feel this rebelliousness and adolescent resentment about being treated like a child. So don't be surprised at some of the emotional states that arise Throughout your life, as you get old, karma ripens, and then these conditions appear in consciousness. Don't despair if you find yourself that fifty years old feeling very childish. It's an encouragement, isn't it? Where well, are we? Uh, childish. Just be aware of, just be aware of that for what it is. It is what it is. The conditions for that particular emotion are present. So then it becomes conscious. They're present, they're in consciousness, they become conscious. You get a feeling. It's kind of an interesting take on it. Huh? I don't know, how are we? Your refuge is in this awareness rather than in trying to make yourself into an ideal man or woman, mature, responsible, Capable, successful, normal, and all the rest—those, those are ideals. Here, I am not looked at as a child. I am the oldest person here. Exclamation mark! <laughs> you may see me in terms of a father figure because I'm a, an old man. Like me, brings an old man like me brings out the sense of authority. I am an authority figure, a patriarch, a father figure, a male figure, a grandfatherly figure to some of you. It's interesting just to see this state when the conditions are there. That's what it means, a conditioned mind. They arise in the mind and then they disappear. But we make a big hoo don't we? And like tie everything together and then we become a person, personality. Rationally, you can see, he's not my father but emotionally you may feel like that acting towards me like i am a father because it's an emotional habit when the conditions for that kind of male authority figure are present then this is what you are feeling it's like this there's nothing wrong with it just notice it's just notice it's the way it is Trust your refuge in awareness, not in some ideal that you shouldn't project fatherly figure, fatherly images onto me, or that you shouldn't feel disempowered by your male authority figure and things like this. if you feel disempowered by me, then just recognize it as a condition that has a reason rather than blaming me or blaming yourself because then you are back into the world of your. You are creating your personal world and believing in that as your reality. I used to get really angry when women would get bossy. He didn't like very strong women at some point. He did admit that. But he was working with it because all the nuns were pretty strong, you know, so <laughs> it was not so easy for. Him. So uh where are we? Yeah, when any woman would show any kind of bossiness, I would just feel this rage. <laughs> you can see, you have a problem, you know. <laughs> You've been a monk already for a long, long time. So, <laughs> but seeing rage is not being, you know, sort of identified with rage. So it's a it's a great mature already level to see very strong feeling and not act on them. I wonder why I would get so upset or enraged by somebody's tone of voice or bossy attitude. I could see that it was like when I was a boy trying to get my way against my mother he also had an older sister we heard about it too I think he said once that she was just getting ready to get, to go and see her boyfriend and he hid her curlers <laughs> I hope you forgive me for telling you the story <laughs> It's through awareness of it that you resolve it. When you understand it and see what it is, you can resolve it and let it go. Then you are not stuck with the same old reactions all the time. Our refuge then is in awareness, not trying to sustain refined experiences in consciousness. You know how you love, you find a bit of sunshine, a bit of, you know, the dukkha is gone, and there you are, clinging to it like a. Uh, what do you call that? When you're in the sea and you're trying to not to drown, how do you call it? Goet de sauvetage, how do you say that in English? <laughs> hey? Anybody close to me? <laughs> anyway, you understand what I mean, don't you? <laughs> so, our refuge then is in awareness, not trying to sustain refined experiences in consciousness, because... You can't do that. You can maybe learn through developing a skill to increase your experience of refinement, but inevitably you have to allow coarseness to manifest. To be a part of your conscious experience, you have to allow coarseness to be a part of your conscious experience. Resting in this conscious awareness is referred to as coming home. Yeah coming home? Or our real home? Ajahn Chah used to talk like that. Our real home. How many of you have felt at some point in your life that there was a dimension which which was other than your blah, 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 blah mind? Remember that blah, 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 and suddenly you get a sense of this silent mind something. You don't quite know what it is. You have no idea. You can put a name or you can invent a name, but it's like the first step, the first glimpse in something that's beyond the conditioned world. It's a place to rest like a home. In your home, you are no longer a foreigner or an alien. You begin to recognize it through a sense of relief in being home at last. Can you relate to that? In not being a stranger, a wanderer out in the wilderness. The world of Achen can arise, and then it's like I am not at home anymore, because Achensumedo is an alien, a stranger. He never feels quite at home anywhere. Am I American now? Am I British? Or am I Thai? Why do I feel at home as a chen sumedo? I don't even know what nationality I am anymore, or when I feel more at, most at home. I feel more at home here than in America because I've lived here for so long. In Thailand, I feel at home because it's a paradise for Buddhist monks. That's true. Uh, and they treat you so well. But still, you have to get a visa and you are always a praferi, which means a foreign monk. Praferang. Here in England, no matter how many years I've been here, I am still, to most people, an American. When I go back to America, I don't know what I am. You don't look like an American anymore. You don't. You've got a funny accent. We don't know where you are from. That's a world that is created when it drops away What's left is our real home. So it's words. Words cannot define that which is wordless. You understand? When you ask what is beyond thought, you know, you cannot. What is beyond self? How can I know what no self is? How can self define itself as no self? It's asking, a, I don't know, a monkey to cook a cheesecake. trying to find something totally absurd. But you can't, you know, so you have to realize. That's what realization is about. Some people are trying to ask me, what re- what is realization, what is inside? Realization is actually you discover something which is beyond any explanation. Right? Beyond conceptual explanation. Right, So... We could finish a little early today, couldn't we? Unless you have absolutely. Do, does that, was it clear what you heard? We have a little question, a little one? Okay, speak a bit louder. Hang Yeah. On. Um, where he said that the mind, the body, and the mind. The mind can be conscious of the body, but the mind is only conscious of the body insofar as it's connected to the central nervous system. Like I can feel my body, but I don't know what my vitamin D levels are, or if they're, you know, my my arteries are getting clogged. So there's a huge part of the body that's like hidden to the mind. Yeah. Sure. It's under the skin, isn't it? So, but I think when you talk about body, you will talk a more a sense of um, the weight of the body, the the, the sense of, uh, you know, the four elements, the, we see the body in terms of the four elements, water, fire, earth and air, and space, you know. So what he meant is more like what we consider the body, you know, as you're saying, scientist, they you know used to think there was uh was used to think of the soul or the mind being up here somewhere. You know. And there was a lot of this a lot of uh, talk about you ask an Asian where is your mind, they say here. And you ask uh, Westerners an American where's your mind? It's here. An Asian where's your mind is here because it's two different uh definition of mind, you know. If you're particularly Buddhist, Asian Buddhist, they know that the mind is not here for sure, and they feel the mind here. I remember um a Thai teacher called a, a quite famous Thai teacher Jamnian, asking her to feel our thought where where are my thoughts in the body you know and um if you think inside your your mind if you think and you feel the thought, for example, I'm going to do this exercise with you to find out whether the the thought where do the thought is felt you know you think and see what? close your eyes think and think you can talk inside yourself. Feel the resonance of your thoughts. Okay, can you put your hand where you felt your thoughts? Where did you feel your thinking? Where did you feel your (laughs) thoughts? It's interesting. Not connected with the body, all that. You feel the thought really here, don't you? That's probably why it's called mine. You know, it's still in your head. You've got to come down to this first floor now, you know, it's like too much on top floor. It's not good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah 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 sure sure it's all it's all cultural and yeah is my, uh, education. yeah, and it's very Buddhist yeah yeah, but you see yeah no, I agree with you, but what we're doing here during ten days, we're actually you know experiencing the body, mind, brain, everything, so this is the experience. And what's something that brings in yourself. The only thing that really brings confidence is experience. You really want to go beyond doubt. Experience, what you're doubting, you know. I remember I had a lot of doubt as to whether I could sleep less. I could sleep without lying down. I, you know, sitting up or something. And because I was competitive, I felt I'm not going to be the last one. I want to know what it feels to be, you know. Um, not sleeping lying down and sleeping upright in the seat of the upright. So I did it for a few weeks and um, then I didn't. the doubt, doubt left, you know, it was finished. I knew that I could do it, You it was fine. And the doubt went. I didn't have to think about it. But often we sit, as we say in French, between two chairs, which means you're really restless because you can't sit anywhere. You can't really rest anywhere. Because um, you um, this doubt is not resting in experience. Not experience, you understand? When you have the experience, then you become confident. The opposite of doubt. Yeah, But you don't get confident by being more conceited with your knowledge, your intellectual knowledge and conceptual knowledge. This conceptual knowledge is really important for clarifying in the brain, so to speak, uh, the teaching of the Buddha, but the actual, the most important thing is to clarify this through experience. And uh, in the Pali Canon or in the commentaries, you have like three levels of knowledge in Buddhism, you know, three level to practice. You have the Pariyati, which is the study of the text, then you have the Patipat, Patipati, Patipat, the Thainuit, because that means practice. Patipat means practice knowledge and patiwedi which means realization knowledge <coughs> right so these three levels exist you don't have to you don't have to kind of uh, reject the study level but it's one aspect of knowledge it's a uh, intellectual knowledge and then you have the practice knowledge and then you have the insight realization knowledge three yeah So, any other questions? Hmm? Speak a bit louder. Uh, I'm so sorry, but I can't actually hear you. Let me see if I can put a bit louder. Go to the heart, yeah, yeah, yeah. What does he say? That's right. No place. no place in the body. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But they have teaching very similar to what the Sumi do say. You know, in the Tibetan tradition, you know, some schools of Tibetan Buddhism. Yeah, when they Lama is all heart, you know. <laughs> he can point to every, every place. <laughs> like a big, big heart. <laughs> is it relevant to tonight? Is it relevant to now? We can talk about it another time. So this cosmic sound, the sound of silence, is really a natural sound. That is why when you learn to rest with it, it's sustainable. You don't create it. Did you hear that? You don't create the sound of silence. Is a natural sound. It's not like you're creating a refined state that depends on conditions to support it. To sustain any kind of refined states, you have to have very refined conditions supporting it. You can't have coarse, noisy, raucous, nasty things happening and still sustain a sense of refinement in your mind. To have a refined mental state, you have to have silence few demands no noise no distractions no quarreling no wars explosions just a very lovely scene where everything is very precious and controlled when we get into that state we can we can get very precious everybody whispers to another in gentle tones then when somebody says ah it really shatters us and we get very upset because we have become so sensitive with a sound of silence you begin to hear it wherever you are in the middle of London, in a traffic jam in Bangkok in a heated argument with somebody when a pneumatic drill, I told you about the pneumatic drill that he was kind of training himself to hear <laughs> next to it okay the lawnmower and the chainsaw are all going at the same time even when there is music. So learning to detect it and turning into it, turning into it is like sorry to detect it and turning into it is like a challenge. Sometimes people say I can't hear it. There is too much noise. If you are resisting that noise the noise you can't hear the sound of silence but if you open to it then you begin to hear the gentle scintillating hum even with a pneumatic drill blasting away So it's quite handy isn't it as a kind of meditation object <laughs> your wife your partner is shouting at you you still can hear the sound of silence your boss is screaming at his You know, your mind is kind of going through a temper tantrum inside. You can still hear the sound of silence. Listening to the sound of silence allows us to integrate mindfulness meditation into movement, work, business. If you are in the kitchen washing the dishes or walking from here back to your room or driving a car, you are able to listen to the sound of silence at the same time. It doesn't make you heedless. It allows you to be fully with what you are doing. It increases your mindfulness. It helps you to wash the dishes fully and really be with the washing of the dishes rather than just washing the dishes and being with all kinds of other things. Walking back to your room, you could be thinking about anything. Using the sound of silence, Helps you to be with the walking, being mindful, and with the very action that's happening in the present moment. Sometimes this sound of silence will become very loud and quite unpleasant, but it won't stay that way. That's what I've told you when I was in Australia. Do you remember the story of? Go thinking I was going to go crazy. I remember one time it was incredibly loud, ear-splitting. I thought something was going wrong, and it changed and. I tried to get loud again and couldn't. It's not something that is dangerous. It depends how you look at it. If you resist it or are negative to it, you are creating that negativity towards it. If you relax and open, you f- then you feel this gently sentiating background sound that is peaceful, calming and restful. You begin to recognize emptiness. It's not some vague idea that if you practice meditation you might experience emptiness someday. It's not a vague kind of thing, it's very direct. Then in that emptiness contemplate what self is. When you become a personality what happens? You start thinking, grasping your feeling when you become a monk, a nun, a man, a woman, a personality, Pisces or Aries, an Asian or European or an American, an old man or young woman or whatever. It's through thinking, grasping at the candles that we start getting wound wonder up into that. And then we become something. But in this emptiness, there is no nationality. It's pure intelligence. Well, this is Ajahn Sumedho's experience. We don't have to believe him, but it's an interesting experience, just to consider, maybe, to get interested. It does not belong to anybody or any group. So then, you start recognizing when you have become somebody and nobody. When there is when there is Atta or Anatta. In the emptiness, there is no self. No Ajahn Sumedho right now but I want to tell you about my personal history and all my qualifications and my achievements in the holy life. Over the past 33 years, I am abbot of a monastery, considered a VIB, a very important biku. Oh dear, I miss him really. And I want you to respect me and treat me properly because you get a lot of merit for being kind to old people. That's a Sumedho. Or you don't have to respect me at all. It doesn't matter to me in the slightest. You can take it if you don't like me or if you criticize me and find fault with me. It's okay. And I'm quite willing to bear with it because I have sacrificed a lot for all of you. But that's a Sumedho again. Born again and then gone. Empty. Just by exploring this, you really get to understand what Atta is, how you become a personality, and you also get to see that when there is no person, there is still awareness. It's an intelligent awareness, not an unconscious, dull stupidity. It's a bright, clear, intelligence emptiness. You become a personality through having thoughts like feeling sorry for yourself, views and opinions, self-criticism, and so forth. Then it stops. There is silence. But the silence is bright and clear, intelligent. I prefer this silence rather than this endless, proliferating nature that goes on in, my, in the mind. I used to have what I call an inner tyrant, a bad habit I picked up of always criticizing myself. It's a real tarrant. There is nobody in this world that has been more tyrannical, critical or nasty to me than I have. Even the most critical person, however much they have harmed and made me miserable, has never made me relentlessly miserable as much as I have myself as a result of this inner tyrant. Do you recognize any of this in you? No. No matter what I do, it's never good enough. Even if everybody says, Ajahn Sumedho, you gave such a wonderful Dharma talk, the inner tyrant says, you should have said this, you didn't say that right. He goes on, in an endless perpetual tirade of criticism and fault finding. Yet it's just a habit. I freed my mind from this habit. It has not no footing anymore. <laughs> Do you Remember? It has no way to root itself again. I know exactly what it is and it's no longer believe Is no longer believing it. I no longer believe in it, sorry. Or even try to get rid of it. I know not to pursue it and just let it dissolve into silence. That's a way of breaking a lot of these emotional habits we have that pla- plague us, plague us, plague, plague, plague uh, plague. plague us. Sorry. <laughs> that plague us and obsess our minds. You can actually train your mind not through rejections or denial but through understanding and cultivating this silence. So don't use this silence as a way of annihilating or getting rid of what is arising in experience, but as a way of resolving and liberating your mind from the obsessive thoughts and negative attitudes that can endlessly plague conscious experience. It'd be nice to have him in real, you know. <laughs> real life. <laughs> so this is a lot to take on, isn't it? You can find it on Volume Four of the. His it's not a quadrology or not trilogy or yeah. You can find his teaching there.